Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving and are uh, excited to be back and, and worshiping with us today. And uh, if you're watching online, we just want to welcome you into our services as well and say thank you for being a part of this. Hope you're doing great. And if you have a Bible this morning, we are going to be continuing in our teaching series in the book of Daniel. And so as we ask this, uh, as we start out today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever made a promise to someone and then broken it? Yeah. Some of you not so ready to admit that, but it's true, right? We do that. It happens occasionally. Uh, maybe it's small and insignificant. Maybe you promised your spouse, not that I've ever done this, but you promised you would empty the dishwasher and then you forgot because there was football on TV and so you didn't get up and do that yesterday, right? Uh, and so I'm just kidding. It wasn't really. We were driving all day yesterday, but uh, maybe that was a small insignificant thing. Maybe it was something much bigger than that. Maybe you promised your child that you would be at one of their events and, and then uh, something popped up at work last minute and you had to cancel going to see your kids in something because you had a work thing and it maybe just broke their hearts that you didn't show up for that thing or, or whatever it may be. We have these times in our life where we make promises and we break promises. And here's what I've learned over the years that all of those things that happen when we break promises, guess what else gets broken? Relationship. When we break promises, it breaks relationship. It, make, it makes things really hard and difficult on relationship. And that's so where we find ourselves today in Daniel chapter 9. We're finally going to be able to see the reason as we get into this chapter why the people of God are in captivity in Babylon in the first place. Now, I don't know if you've asked yourself that question over the time that we've been going through this book. Like, why are they here in the first place? Is it just random chance? Was it just that they happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time? And as Babylon was conquering other areas, Jerusalem just happened to be one of the places that they came against and took people into captivity. Maybe that was it historically, that it was just kind of a bad situation. And there was this power that came up and, and the people of God got swept up in this nation that had so much power over the earth. But maybe there's more to it than that. And so what we want to look at this morning is that this is not a random occurrence that God's people find themselves in captivity in Babylon. They find themselves there due to a broken promise. Actually, it's much more serious than that. The people of God find themselves in captivity in Babylon because of a broken covenant. God had introduced a covenant with his people and they broke that. He had made an arrangement with them, a deal with them. If you do this, then I will do this. And my promises to bless you come as you live in respect and obedience to me. But if you break that contract, if you break that covenant promise, then I'll bring uh, difficulty to you. And so this is what I want you to get this morning. If you're taking notes and like to write some things down, or if you're on our app and following along to fill in some blanks, here's what I want you to get. God is a covenant giver. And God is a covenant keeper. And so when we think about these things that God knows covenant relationship, he makes covenants and he keeps covenants. And through all, all of scripture, we've seen this take place. By the time we get to the book of Daniel, God has made several different covenants that continue to increase and grow on themselves with his people. 
he starts out with covenant to uh, Noah. If you remember the story of Noah and the flood, when they come off of the ark, God puts a rainbow in the sky and he says, never again will I destroy the earth by water, by flood because of the sin of the people. I will not do that again. And here's my covenant promise. It's this rainbow. We still today, when we see the promise of the rainbow in the sky, we remember God has been good to keep his covenant, that he has not destroyed the earth by water again. Then we move on into the story with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky, that he would be given a great land and through him, all the earth would be blessed. In other words, there would be one who would come from his lineage that would bless the entire world. And so this covenant relationship with Abraham was established. Then with Moses, when the people of Israel brought out of slavery from Egypt, God reaffirms the covenant. He tells Moses again, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you to the land of promise and there's going to be this Messiah that's coming and the covenant is reaffirmed, it's reestablished. Then when we get to David, who sits on the throne as king, God gives a covenant relationship with David and he says, David, you will never cease to have someone sitting on the throne of Israel. Right now, that covenant has some twofold meaning. Number one, that during David's lifetime, there would be people who would sit on the throne from his family, his lineage. But then number two, that Jesus would come as the eternal Messiah, the King of Kings who will reign eternally in the place of David. And so when we see this covenant relationship established, by the time we get to Uh, the story of Daniel, we start to see how the people of God have not kept the covenant relationship that God's established with them. And so this morning, we're going to read quite a lot of scripture together. All right. So if you want to watch our screens, uh, or if you have your Bible in front of you, you can jump around with us. But I'm going to read through quite a few passages of scripture. Because when the people of God entered into the promised land, after their exile in Egypt, and they were removed from Egypt, And taken out and walked through the wilderness for 40 years, they were finally led to the promised land. As they were leading, being led into the promised land at the end of Joshua's life as the leader of the people, he called all of the nation of Israel together and he started to tell them some things about the future. And so here's Joshua 23, verses 14 through 16. He says, Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Joshua knows he's about to die. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land that he's given to you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he's given you. Now, Joshua's gonna take the rest of that chapter and he's gonna give a brief history of Israel. They're uh, leaving the exile in uh, Egypt and coming to the promised land. He goes through all of that. Then we pick back up in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery. And he performed those great signs before our eyes. 
He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Now listen to this. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, Joshua said, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord your God, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. Now over time, the people of God didn't keep their promise and their covenant. They pursued other gods, they fell to other things, and then we get caught up to the book of Daniel and we see the consequences of them falling away from their covenant relationship and saying, we'll serve God. We'll do the things God asks. We'll be obedient to God. We'll be faithful to God. And yet Joshua had warned them, you can't. You can't be fully committed to God, fully obedient to God. It was like Joshua had an insight into the soul of men and into the hearts of men who say, man, we're gonna serve God faithfully and completely give everything to him. And he goes, there's gonna be other things that come along that are gonna drag your focus away from God. There's gonna be other things that come along and get your eyes, that get your attention, that get your heart and are gonna drag you away from God and entice you to sinful things. And so by the time we get to the book of Daniel, we start to see that just before Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem, there was a prophet in Israel. His name was Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a little bit older in life at the time that Daniel's a young man. At the time of the first exile, when Babylon came against Israel for the first time, there were three uh, raids against Jerusalem, three conquests of Jerusalem. After the first one, Daniel and his friends and some of the, the people from the, the palace were taken away and out to, uh, to Babylon. And so at that period of time, Jeremiah, right after the first exile, Jeremiah writes to the people of God who have been taken into captivity in Babylon. So here's his message, Jeremiah 25, verse one. The word came to Jeremiah, concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of jo uh, Josiah, the king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me and I've spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened and though the Lord has sent all your servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord God gave you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with your hands and what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that Babylon was a Christian, a servant of God, a Jewish man. It just means that God is the Lord of kings. He makes 
pawns out of kings, right? And so he says, I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar. This is God's doing as a result of the disobedience of the people. He says, I will bring against them all the lands surrounding these nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. I will bring on that land all the things I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. They themselves will be enslaved by many nations and great kings. I will repay them according to their deeds and the work of their hands, right? Then again, in Jeremiah chapter 29, following the first conquest of Israel, when Daniel was taken into captivity, Jeremiah writes another letter. He writes this one to the king of Babylon and to the exiles in Babylon. Uh, and most of us know from chapter 29 of Jeremiah, a famous verse in that passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? And you probably know this. It says, uh, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. Maybe you have that hanging in your kitchen somewhere. Maybe you got it tattooed on your arm. I don't know what you did with that verse, but a lot of people just love that passage. It's a promise we think about in saying, God has something big for me. He's got something in store for me. He has plans to prosper me, not to harm me. And yet, contextually, when we read this verse, the place that we miss so often is that while that is an amazing promise of God, we have to remember, first, he's not writing that to us. He's writing it to his people first and foremost, right? The first way we look at scripture is always what did it mean in its original context? And God is writing to a people who have disobeyed him and have been forced into captivity. And so here's what happens around that verse that we love so much. Verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisah, son of Shaphan, and to Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, from whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And here's what the letter Jeremiah wrote said. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, to Israel. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and, will, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from among the nations, the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And so as God writes these things through the prophet Jeremiah, he wants to tell his people, you're being sent into captivity. Your sins have resulted in punishment. Your sins have resulted in discipline. You're being taken away. And when you get there, you need to do what's right in that place because you're going to be there for a while. Did you notice that? He told him, when you get there, build houses, marry, have children, plant gardens, get ready because you're going to be there. And he says, it's not going to be until 70 years have passed that you'll cry out to me again, that you'll call to me in your exile and you'll ask me to bring you back. And I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But first, you're going to go through this discipline. And so when we're taking notes this morning, if you're writing some things down, here's what I want you to get. When judgment comes from God against his people, it's only after years of trying to get them to turn back to him and after giving them multiple chances to repent. Did you notice what Jeremiah said when he wrote his letter? He said, I was here. 23 years prophesying to you. And there were other prophets who came to you and they called you back into relationship with God over and over and over again. There were chances given to you to repent and turn to God and you didn't do it. So now you're gonna go to Babylon. Now you're gonna go to captivity and you should go there and you should get comfortable there because it's going to last a while. And so when we see all this take place today, there are two different times in these passages from Jeremiah that he says, 70 years of exile are going to take place. And then you'll pray and you'll seek me. And when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And then relief will come. And so that's where we find Daniel. I want you to pick up with me in chapter nine of Daniel. And here's what Daniel records. In the first year of Darius, the son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent. So here's the context. We've now moved out of the Babylonian kingdom and the Medes and Persians have taken over. Persia has the lion's share, but a ruler who is a Mede by descent is on the throne. He was made the ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. All right, if you're taking notes again, write this down this morning. Fill in some blanks here. Daniel's prayer was stimulated by reading scripture. He says, when I was reading the words of Jeremiah, the scroll of Jeremiah, the scripture of Jeremiah, I came to understand some things and it caused Daniel to pray. And so I want you to hear this church. I know I've been in times in my life and maybe you've hit this place before where prayer just kind of gets stale. Maybe your prayer life, you just feel like you're saying the same things over and over again. I don't know if you've ever felt like I have where you pray and it feels like it hits the ceiling and bounces right back down and slaps you in the face. It's like that prayer didn't go anywhere. I don't even know why I bothered. That was just wasted breath. Maybe you felt like that. I know I have. 
When I get to times where my prayer life feels stale, when I feel like I don't know how to communicate with God well, I go to scripture. And most often I'll turn to Psalms or Proverbs, but all of scripture can be used as a prayer book that you just read the words of God and then pray back to him what he says, what he reveals to you. And I can tell you in my life over and over again that when I pray scripture, God reveals things to me that I hadn't been thinking about praying about in my own life. Maybe he lays people on my heart or nations on my heart or the lost on my heart. Maybe he convicts me of my own personal sin. And as I read things in the word of God, I'll go, oh my gosh, I look a lot like Daniel. I look a lot like David. I look a lot like Solomon. I have these broken places in my life. But as I read how they confessed of sin, it goes, man, that's me too. And I, excuse me, I have to get on my face before God and cry out to him and say, this is what I'm seeing in your word. This is what's convicted me. This is what I feel compelled to pray. But scripture leads us to pray fervently and deeply. So when you're stuck in your prayer time, grab the word of God and use it to pray. That's what Daniel does here. He says, I was reading scripture and then I noticed something. In the words of Jeremiah, multiple times he told us the Babylonian exile would last how long? 70 years. He says, and I saw that and I started doing the math in my head and going, I've been in Babylon almost 70 years. God, may it be that the time is close that you would relieve us of this exile and return us to your land of promise. And so Daniel says, because of this, he started to pray. Now we're told that prayer is a main attribute of Daniel's life anyway. If you remember from Daniel chapter six, he got in trouble for prayer. Remember that, that they were issued a decree that no one should pray to anyone but the king for a period of 30 days. And Daniel went to his upper room, opened the doors and prayed out toward Jerusalem twice a day anyway. It landed him in a lion's den because he prayed. He was faithful to pray. But in this moment, we see Daniel take another step forward. He says, I didn't just pray. I petitioned God and I fasted and I clothed myself in sackcloth and ashes. And so Daniel takes this next step and he says, not only did I pray, but I fasted. I gave up food and drink in order to focus my mind, in order to draw my attention to my desperate need for God. If you've ever done that before, and you're going to be hearing us talk more about fasting in the year that's ahead, when we get into 2020, we're going to talk about as a church, what does it look like to pray and fast consistently? That we would be people of God who would cry out to him and call out to him and give up things in our life in order to pursue him more deeply. So buckle up because that's one of the directions that we're going to be headed in the new year. But Daniel says, I prayed, I fasted, I petitioned God, and I put on sackcloth and ashes. Those are traditional ways of saying he was mourning. He recognized the sin of the people of God and he went into mourning for them and with them. He took this seriously. And so when he says all of these things, the next thing that we find as we move into verse four is how he prays. And so follow along with me. Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and we've rebelled. We've turned against, uh, we've turned away from your commands and your laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to the kings, our princes and our ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous. But this day 
we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we've sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out against us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made uh, for himself a name that endures to this very day. We have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you based on our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Now, I want to give you three things as we start to close up this morning, just to kind of help us understand what Daniel's praying through and to make sense for us what's going on in this. Here's what we need to understand as worshipers of God when we read this passage. Number one is simply this. God always keeps his covenants. God always keeps his covenants. In this sense, we see the negative side of God keeping his covenant. He says, you gave us a covenant, Obey and live with me and follow me in obedience and in faithfulness and you'll prosper and live in the land. Disobey me, break my covenant, worship other gods and there will be punishment for you. And so God has kept his covenant. He said, you disobeyed me, here are the consequences. But it won't last forever. I will bring you back because my covenant also endures that you will be a great people in the land I promised to you and through you will come a Messiah for the whole world. So God is a faithful covenant keeper. One of the things that I love about something Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, he wrote, there's a day coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them out of the land of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. When it comes to covenant, God sees these things and he knows that we can't keep his righteous law, that we can't do it on our own. We need a mediator We need someone to stand in the gap for us that will keep it perfectly. This is why Jeremiah points ahead to Jesus. He says a new covenant is going to come, and it's going to be a covenant of grace. We see in this covenant that Daniel told us this was a covenant of love. We often think about the Old Testament and the covenant that God gave as a covenant of law. And we think about it as keep the rules, obey the rules, do this, or you're going to be punished. And yet, Daniel, when he talks about this covenant that God had given to his people, he says this was a covenant of love because God knows the best way for us to live. Here's the second thing that I want us to see. God is justified and he's righteous when he judges. He's justified and he's righteous to bring these judgments against his people. And when we sin, God is justified and he's righteous when he disciplines us and when he corrects us and when he brings us back into relationship with him by convicting us of our sins. And sometimes our sin leads us through some difficult, dangerous places. And yet God looks at us and says, I'm righteous to lead you through that because the end result is I have good plans for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to bring you back, to give you hope in a future. But your future is with Christ. And so when we see Daniel praying all these things, he tells us over and over again that God was right to do this. God judges sin and he's right to do so because our sin is an affront to God's holiness. And so when we think about this, The hope in all of these things is that God might relent from judgment. And so Daniel begins to pray on behalf of the people. He begins to say, God, we have done wrong. We have sinned against you. Now we've read the book of Daniel. Do you remember as Daniel, the reason he ended up in the lion's den in the first place in chapter six was because they had to come up with a law against his worship because they couldn't find anything wrong that he would ever do. Daniel was an upright and righteous man. He was a moral man. And yet when he says to pray, he starts to tell God, this isn't about me being righteous and the rest of my nation being sinful and depraved and wicked. He says, we have sinned. We've turned against you. We've gone astray. We've rebelled. Daniel lumps himself in here with these things. He says, this is on all of us. And now Daniel's engaging in intercessory prayer on behalf of his people, but he recognizes he's not innocent before God in these matters. And so this is a good time for us to understand something. Write this down again. There is a big difference between apologizing for something and repenting of sin. Do you understand? There's a big difference between apologizing and repenting. An apology tends to come after you've been caught doing something wrong and you want to get out of it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, right? If you have kids, if you've been a kid, if you're married, you do something wrong, and you apologize for it. I got caught, I don't want to be in trouble, I apologize, I won't do that anymore. But more often than not, what happens? If we're not convicted of that as a wrongdoing, we're going to go right back and do it again. Our apology doesn't necessarily change our behavior. Repentance, on the other hand, 
is a turning away from sin and turning towards something greater. Repenting means I'm going to give this up entirely. That's why we call people to repent of their sins and come into relationship with God. It's not just to tell God you're sorry that you're sinful in your past and you want him to do something about it. It's to say, God, I trust you now to help me turn away from sin and pursue a course of righteousness. This is what we saw in the baptism waters this morning, that when we think about our lives, it's saying, God, I'm burying my old life and putting it to death to be raised to walk in new life. I'm a new creation, totally remade, no longer to follow this sinful, evil way of life any longer, but to live according to your ways. And so God, I want to repent of my sin and turn from them and turn toward you. In the New Testament book of Acts, when the apostle Peter was asked on the day of Pentecost, he preached to thousands and thousands of people right after the resurrection of Jesus. And he told them, the blood of Jesus, the righteous one, the son of God, the Messiah of the world is on your hands. And they asked the question, what do we have to do to be saved? And Peter's answer was simple. Repent and be baptized. Repent of your sins. Turn away from this sinful, wicked lifestyle and be buried in death with Christ to be raised to walk in a new life with him. Let your former way of life die and come to life in Christ. Enter those waters of baptism that show and reflect that you've been washed clean of your sin and then come out of those waters to walk in a different way of life for the rest of your life. That's the picture that we get. That's what we're called into relationship for. And then here's the final thing that I want us to see today. Number three, Daniel appeals to God's righteousness, not the people's reputation when he asks for an end to their exile. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but as he prays and as he says these things, he doesn't say, God, you know, since we've come to Babylon, we've realized how bad we are. We've really cleaned up our act. We're doing a lot better. And now, God, because we are so good and righteous and clean, we think it's time that you should let us leave and go back into Israel. He doesn't say that. He goes, we remain sinful. In fact, a lot of our people have embraced wholeheartedly the ways of the Babylonians. A lot of our people have just embraced the life of the Persians. We have continued to rebel against you and chase other idols and worship other gods. And yet, God, we throw ourselves at your mercy seat because you are merciful and righteous. Therefore, remember your covenant to your people. Remember your promise, God. And not because of anything we've done, but because of who you are. Would you lead us? back to your land. It's for your glory and your name. Because God, when the people see all around us the desolation of Jerusalem and your people in captivity, your name is attached to us. Your name is attached to that city. And as long as it lies in ruins, the nations mock you. And so God, for the glory of your name, would you return us back? And Christians, we need to have that same mentality God, for the glory of your name, would you forgive my sin? Would you help me to walk in light with you? And so maybe for us this morning as Christians, there are some things that we need to repent of and some questions we need to ask. Are you living in the freedom of repentance? Are you actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus and walking in light of his grace? What do you keep asking forgiveness from with no intention to turn away from it? 
and just expecting that God is over and over and over again going to say, it's okay, it's fine, no big deal, and there'll be no consequences. Listen, I've lived that way, and I can tell you it's no way to live, <laughs> to just keep sinning over and over again and then going, oh, sorry, oh, I did it again, God forgive me, I'm sorry, with no intention of changing it. As Christians, God is asking us to repent and turn away. And then for those of you this morning who might not call yourselves a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear clearly something that's difficult. Your sin deserves punishment. And because of the grace that Jesus has poured out, when he came to give his life as a ransom on the cross, the grace of God is that God doesn't count your sin against you. Your sin deserves punishment. But instead of punishing you, God chose to put your sin on his son and punish him instead so that you can have forgiveness. That's the gospel of Jesus, that his love is for you, so much so that he put his son on a cross and had his son murdered on your behalf. But if you choose not to embrace that salvation, your sin deserves punishment. And because you choose not to embrace Jesus' act of forgiveness for you, you will bear that punishment. And it's not like the Babylonian exile that will last 70 years and then you'll find your way somehow magically teleported to heaven for the rest of eternity. If you choose not to embrace the relationship with Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus, the punishment your sin deserves because your sin is against an eternally holy God, your sin deserves eternal punishment and damnation. That's as clear as I can tell you that. The good news is you don't have to die in your sins. This is the gospel. This is the power of the message. Jesus has come to forgive you to cleanse you of your unrighteousness, to make you a new person, to give you new life. And so this morning, I just want to ask if you will to pray with me. And as you think about those things, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you just to take a minute and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And if today the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart in a way that you think, I know if I were to die, I would not have a relationship with Jesus that would end in eternity in heaven. My sin is so overbearing that I would be punished forever. Today's the day that you can accept forgiveness. And so if you would, would you just pray and ask the, the Father to forgive you of your sin? to bring you into relationship with him. Repent today. And then let the spirit of God work in your life from here forward to lead you to live for him in that repentance every day forward. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.